My name is Scott Nye, and this is Talking Radical Radio. Hello and welcome to Talking Radical Radio, where we bring you grassroots voices from across Canada. We give you the chance to hear many different people that are facing many different struggles, talk about what they're doing, how they're doing it, and why they're doing it, in the belief that such listening is a crucial step in strengthening all of our efforts to change the world. On this week's show, I will be speaking with Beth Alexander and Michelle Monk. Beth Alexander teaches science, technology, engineering, and math-related subjects at an independent school in Toronto. Michelle Monk teaches geography, history, math, and music to grade 7 and 8 students at an alternative school that's part of the Toronto District School Board. Both Alexander and Monk are very committed to social justice. Both, as well, have for many years been working to incorporate questions of social justice and equity and activism into their classroom teaching practice. This is not necessarily easy work to do. Figuring out ways to do it that capture student imagination, that empower students, that foster critical dialogue, and that recognize that students bring a wide range of histories and experiences and family contexts to their learning is difficult enough. Add the fact that, while there are more now than there used to be, it can still be hard to find resources that incorporate concern for equity and justice, so teachers often have to devise their own. And, of course, there's always the possibility of resistance from parents and administrators. Alexander and Monk teach in schools that are relatively open to such things, but more conventional schools may not be. So while there do seem to be more teachers than ever before interested in incorporating such concerns into their classrooms, many don't know quite how to get started doing it, while others are plunging into the work on their own, but don't really have connections with any like-minded colleagues to share ideas and support. A few years ago, Alexander and Monk attended a conference for progressive educators in the United States, and it inspired them to begin the process of organizing a conference themselves in the Canadian context. And after much hard work, it finally happened in early April, the Teaching for Justice Conference. It brought together teachers from public, Catholic, and private schools for a day of talks, workshops, and conversations. The goal was to give teachers interested in this sort of work a chance to learn from each other about different ways of doing it, and perhaps more importantly, to create a space in which teachers spread across different schools and different jurisdictions could begin to build relationships that might end up being a basis for ongoing dialogue, learning, and activity. Alexander and Monk speak with me about the conference, and I should add that the interview took place just before the conference, so you'll get to hear all of the details of the organizing and the plan for the event, but not the outcome, and about some of the key broader issues of including concerns for social justice and equity in the classroom. We spoke by Skype to phone from Toronto. I'm Beth Alexander. I'm a STEM teacher at the Linden School in Toronto. I'm interested in social justice, so I'm interested in helping my students make the world a better place, specifically for girls in the field of STEM. But in general, I'm just a curious, happy person who wants to use my skills to see what good we can do together. My name is Michelle Monk, and I teach grade 7-8 Geography, History, Math, and Music at an alternative school in the TDSB in the Toronto District School Board. 
The school is called City View and it has a focus on equity and activism. The purpose of the conference is to bring together educators who are interested in topics of social justice and using activism in their classrooms, both as a way of teaching their students about their power in the world, but also using that power to recognize inequities and correct them. So it'll be a chance for teachers of different schools and different boards and independent schools to get together and talk and share ideas and inspiration and make some new contact for the work we do together. I entered teaching as my I don't even want to say second career, it might have been third or fourth thing I tried to do, and the thing that really stuck and resonated with me. And over time, I just started feeling more comfortable sharing more of what I believed in the classroom. I work at a really fantastic progressive school that helped me do that, and learned about ways in which it was helpful and appropriate to do that with students of different ages. I really believe that all teaching is political. What you do and don't say is saying something, no matter what your political leaning is. And I felt as educators, we have an obligation to help our students see the way the world is, to look for voices that you don't hear usually, and more importantly, what to do with that information. You know, it's not just enough to know about something. You have to actually be ready to act on it. And students being young people don't have the same tools and skills that adults do, but they have a lot of power and they're eager to use their voice. And so learning how to use that voice effectively for what you believe in is really important. So over time, met lots of people. Putting together this conference is a way of meeting the more people. My path was a little bit different. When I was doing my undergrad, I joined the Ontario Public Interest Research Group, and my awareness was raised about a lot of different issues of justice and equity, and I wanted to know what kind of role I could play in addressing those issues, and I felt like education was a logical way of disrupting some of the problems that I noticed and had learned about in my studies. So after that, I did my master's in social justice and cultural studies and education at OAE. And I was really interested in alternative education, reframing the relationship between teachers and students, and really interested in citizenship education and different ways that students could become more agents of their learning and agents of change in the world. I was actually interested in starting my own school, and that was a path that I went down for a while but didn't actually get there. Uh, instead, I found myself a few years later at the Linden School where I met Beth, and there was a lot of support to integrate issues of justice into my teaching. And it started out with math, which was interesting because mm -hmm. I feel like people see the logical connections between maybe geography and the environment or other areas of study and social justice, but math seemed to be an unusual approach for a lot of people. But for me, it seemed very logical that math would be part of this work for justice. So I put together a workshop and that got me thinking more formally about what I was doing and how I could more formally integrate issues of justice into my pedagogy and into my curriculum. I continued down that path and eventually switched to the school that I'm at right now, which is a public school with a focus on equity and activism. Where did the idea for the Teaching for Justice conference come from? Michelle and I attended a conference uh, a couple of years ago in the United States, it was the Progressive Educators Network Conference. We had been invited to speak there about an event we put together that we had worked on, which was called the Social Justice Data Fair, which we worked together on at Linden. And we had written an article about for Rethinking School. So they invited us to come talk about that. And while we were at the conference, we kept talking to each other and saying, like, 
this is amazing. Like these people that we're meeting are so interesting and incredible. And isn't it a shame that there's nothing like this at home? Because it was fascinating. We learned a lot, but the American context is very different from a Canadian context. And so we got to thinking brainstorming and Michelle said we should do our own conference. And I was like, that's crazy, Michelle. Uh, but she was right. And that was the genesis of it. And then we picked away at the idea for a little while. And here we are. One thing that was important to us is that, so I'm in a public school, but I used to teach in an independent school. And I know that through the union, there's a lot of anti-racism work and anti-oppression work that public school teachers have access to. But there isn't really a forum for teachers from independent and public schools to interact and to share resources and ideas. And I guess I was disappointed that that space didn't exist, especially because I think there's a lot that we have in common, a lot we can share, and it's too bad that that intersection doesn't have a space. So that was one of our main goals from the outset was to create a space that was really accessible to teachers from public, private, independent schools, teacher candidates. We wanted to make it open to everyone. And we're actually really pleased that the people who have registered and the people who are presenting workshops really do represent that diversity of Catholic board and public board and independent school. So it's really nice that we've achieved that. We're trying to create a conversation between these different teachers who have never had a chance to meet. Tell me more about the process of organizing the conference. Well, we had a lot of meetings. (laughs) We had a lot of meetings to talk about what our goals were and what our ideas were. And then we had to sort of limit our ideas based on our (laughs) practical reality. So, for example, we really wanted it to be a pay-what-you-can conference. We wanted the conference to not be a financial burden. The one that we attended in New York cost $500 per person, and we didn't pay because we were presenting. But we knew that by putting an admission of $500 on it, we would exclude a lot of people from participating. So that required some creative thinking about where we could hold the conference that would allow us to make the fees as low as possible. I think a common theme in worker equity is lack of resources. We realized along the way that there was a lot we didn't know about organizing something like this. Michelle and I have had many conversations about, well, we want to do this right. We want to make sure that, for example, you know, we have fair trade coffee. We want to make sure that we have childcare available. We want to make sure that our conference is as accessible as possible to the widest number of people. If somebody wants to come, we want them to be able to. And yeah, we learned a lot about organizing something like this. We have a list of what to do differently next time, for sure. But yeah, I think we're really excited. Given the broad range of things that you could talk about at a social justice conference, how did you make decisions about what the conference was going to focus on? We were really thoughtful and conscious about voices that were represented and making sure that there were a diversity of voices represented. We're both white women, and we wanted to make sure that, you know, it wasn't just our perspective being represented, and had a lot of conversations about how we could reach out to people who we didn't yet see represented in our list of speakers or workshop presenters or conference attendees. And so we had a lot of brainstorming, like, who can we call? Who do we know? Who do we reach out to? Who do we email? Get on the internet. How can we find this person? And they can ask, how can they come? We are part of a group called Educators for Peace and Justice, and they helped with that work as well in terms of helping us with contact, setting us up with people. That was helpful. So in addition to just a general open call for proposals, for example, we specifically we said we want a workshop on Indigenous issues. So we contacted the Aboriginal Education Center of the TPSC and asked them if they would present a workshop. So we specifically identified different areas that we wanted to have represented at the conference. 
And if there was a group that wasn't represented as presenting the workshop, then we asked them to have a table at the resource fair or be a keynote speaker. So we really tried to, in some capacity, include as many perspectives as possible. Yeah, and I think if there's one thing that we would change, it would be if we had greater financial resources that we could reach out to pay speakers, for example, that we would have liked to be there but weren't there. Walk listeners through the content of the conference. The day will begin with a land and treaty acknowledgement by a First Nations educator from Northern Ontario, who is also our keynote speaker. And school board trustee Elsma Malik will also deliver some opening remarks. And we're going to have some slam poetry spoken word by some young people to start us off. And then there will be five workshops. There's one called Beyond the Party Math that looks at math and social justice. There's one on the Truth and Reconciliation Commission and including Indigenous perspectives in education. We have uh, workshops on consent and a workshop given by Planned Parenthood on their TEACH program, workshops on talking with Latinx students and essentially rewriting the Ontario curriculum to include better historical context for Latinx students. We have a yoga teacher coming in to do some yoga for teachers who are interested in beginning their day with a little gentle relaxation. We have a workshop on dress codes and slut-shaming associated with the way dress codes are enforced in schools. The founder of the schoolhouse is talking about her long-time experience with using social justice in the classroom in the context specifically of storytelling and art. Two colleagues of mine and I are presenting on our social justice data fair, which is a yearly event when we use, it's it's sort of like a science fair, but we use math skills to present problems that students have identified in the world and some of their solutions. So we're talking about, for example, how do you work with kindergarten students to engage in their emerging knowledge of the world and how they might be activists in their own way in math classes. We have some workshops on citizenship education and on gender. There's a primary junior workshop called Gender Splendor, looking at a gender celebration that the Grove School does every year. So there are 15 workshops. There's five in each of the three workshop slots. So after the opening comments, registrants will attend the first workshop. Then there's this lunch with a facilitated discussions on different issues. Lunch is kind of a lunch and networking opportunity. And then after that, there's two more workshop slots. And then at the end of the day, there's going to be a closing. It's a youth activist panel. We've invited some different youth activists to sit on a panel, and they will talk a little bit about their activism and respond to some questions about what schools and what teachers are doing right and what schools and teachers could do better (laughs) for youth activists. And then we'll have some closing remarks, and that's the day. Given that we're in a moment in which forces that are actively and aggressively opposed to social justice are very strong and very empowered, what are the possibilities and the limitations for this work, for bringing questions of social justice into classrooms? This is something that Michelle and I have been talking about since we met each other. Essentially, like, how do you do this work while not only staying on the good side of administration, right, because we have jobs to keep, but also how do you do this work in a way that respects the fact that students are coming from different places 
I made the mistake long ago, for example, of making a comment about the banking industry in math class and not really fully thinking about the fact that some of the parents of the students in my class were in the banking industry and that that comment would not just be taken intellectually, but also personally. And learning how to do that work more thoughtfully has been an important part of my growth as a teacher. And so not just talking about what the issues are and how to link them to curriculum. Those are not only important questions, but also respecting the places where our students are when they come into the classroom is important. And it really just begins with knowing your students and being part of their world in a way that goes beyond just the bell ringing at the beginning and at the end of the day. Knowing who they are, um, being responsive to who they are and what they need is kind of the foundation of this kind of work and knowing how to do it well. But I think that when you teach students how to ask critical questions, to engage with media thoughtfully, for example, to be able to have a respectful and open discussion in the classroom, it doesn't necessarily have to be the teacher who frames all of the political topics. The students themselves will bring things into the classroom that they will engage with in a pretty sophisticated way when you make space for that. And that's definitely true in math class. If the students bring in an article, for example, and I'll say, well, great, we can talk about it in math. We can look at the numbers in that article in math class and examine them. For example, if we're talking about proportions or percent, we can talk about, for example, the students were really interested in these proportions after the U.S. election. How is it that Clinton won the popular vote, the lost the election, right? These kind of questions came from the students themselves. And so as we get more experienced and comfortable as teachers talking about equity and social justice, I actually find I talk less and let the students talk more. I'm better guiding the conversation and letting them talk more. Another challenge is that as we take our teacher activism outside the classroom, that's also where we encounter some barriers or some challenges. So, for example, when the Black Lives Matter protest was happening at the police station in downtown Toronto, our school was hoping to go. That's very consistent with the things that we talk about in our classes and Many of our students were concerned about some of the issues around racialized policing and other issues related to that. And then our principals supported the trip, but ultimately we were not able to go because it was considered to be too risky a trip. So there are those kinds of limitations where there's support, and at some point there's a gatekeeper who says, no, you can't do this. That sort of concern for safety or concern for... No, safety might mean physical safety of the children, but I think in a lot of people's minds, it's also their emotional safety. There are people concerned that, well, if you talk about these issues, you're hurting them. And so I think we do need to be thoughtful about the way we talk about things with students and issues that we bring to their attention. But if we were safe to the extent that we didn't ever have a controversial conversation in our classrooms or ever ask our students to engage in action that was meaningful and important to them, If we never took those risks, then we wouldn't actually be able to do much in the way of teaching. I think that true teaching happens in a slightly, not scary place, but students are uncomfortable. They need to leave their comfort zone a little bit. And I think even those times when families may push back against some kinds of action or some topics that we might engage with in the classroom, I think actually that's helping them stretch. I kind of, I don't get a lot of emails saying, hey, thanks for pushing. (laughs) But I think that opening up those conversations does nothing but good things for students. And I think in the bulk, our parents appreciate that those conversations are happening. I actually have had many parents say, I'm so happy this conversation happened at the dinner table. It was great. I didn't know my children wanted to talk about that. I also think another challenge is that Once we're bringing in issues of justice and equity, a lot of the issues are very serious and very sad. 
kids could end up feeling very hopeless. There's a feeling that they've been bumping along in their lives and enjoying things and learning. And then all of a sudden they're presented with all this sad, sad information about the state of the world and they could end up feeling very hopeless. So I think it's important to give students an opportunity to take action on an issue and have a way of empowering them to be an agent of change. So, for example, in my math class, we were looking at Barbie and the way that the Barbie doll misrepresents diverse proportions of girls and women. And instead of just saying, oh, this is terrible, Barbie is sending this message to girls and women, students wrote a letter to Mattel, who manufactures Barbie, and they talked about what their issues were, and Mattel wrote a reply. And to feel the sadness and the serious, but then say, hey, let's do something about it. I think that's a really important part of this work as well, is to see that we are agents of change and we can use the knowledge that we have to make a statement about it. In my school, the day after the U.S. election, we started planning a fundraiser for Planned Parenthood because that was an issue that to my students, who are all girls, they felt like this feels like a personal attack, the results of this election. And where can they place that hurt and anger in a positive way rather than just sitting around and making jokes about Trump in the classroom? And there was some of that too. But rather than just stay there, what could do some actual good? And so that's what we did. What are the various ways that you've seen students make the switch from just being interested in a given topic or issue to feeling compelled to take action on it? There are so many different ways in which students respond. I find, and I teach middle schoolers, so of course some of their responses are a little rebellious. For example, I teach at a feminist school, and often I'll have students say, well, I'm not a feminist, you know, and I, okay, <laughs> well, I mean, you're entitled to have that opinion, right? It's not how I feel, but tell me more about that. Allowing students the space to dissent is really important. Giving them a means to express their views, even when they contradict yours politically or ideologically is really important. I kind of find, though, that students have different ways of responding, that some of them are really concrete. You'll have students who say, you know, I read this article about the elephants moving from the Toronto Zoo, and it made me think that there might be other animals who are unhappy in the zoo, and so how can we make sure that all the animals are happy in the zoo? And then that leads to an interesting project where you're researching animal habitats and figuring out, okay, is the Toronto Zoo a good place for all of the animals now? And some students, it's a kind of a way of thinking. So, for example, students who say, well, I wasn't sure I agreed with my dad about this, and I felt bad because I didn't know what to say, and then I came to school and talked about it with some people here, and it really made me feel that I could go back and use my voice and let him know how I feel about this. And it might not be the same kind of action, the concrete action or political action that another kid takes, but it's kind of a valuing your own thinking and valuing your own voice on a personal level. And I think for that reason, just modeling for students that you can be in disagreement with the way the world is, and you can use academic and intellectual skills to strengthen your own position, which can then make the world a better place, is really important. And it might not be as concrete as writing a letter, but it's sort of a way of thinking about yourself and your place in the world that's really important. The issues that really grab them are the ones that are very personal to them. So, for example... In grade seven and eight, a lot of the issues that I deal with in my school are around gender, gender identity. So I just wanted to give an example of two of the youth activist panelists that will be at the conference who both were students of mine and use their learning in different ways. At my school in grade eight, the students have to do an independent study project on an issue of their choice. 
And I had two students a few years ago who took on the new physical and health education curriculum that Ontario was proposing. And they said at the time that the curriculum has to include consent. It wasn't for sure going to be a part of the new curriculum and it had been proposed earlier and had not been included. And they felt really strongly that consent needed to be taught at all levels. And they created a huge campaign called We Give Consent. They got a lot of attention for it. They met with the premier and they really used their learning to take on this really big issue that affects all Ontario students. And it was amazing to see them yeah. navigate that conversation. And they've continued to do work around consent after graduating. And the other student I wanted to mention, we at our school recognized that a lot of our students were not comfortable with the male and female designations of our washrooms. And so I think it was about four years ago, we created an all-gender washroom at our school. And now our Queer Straight Alliance does work in the broader school community to educate other schools about how to create an all-gender washroom. And they talked to principals and they talked to a lot of people. And then we had a student who graduated a few years ago and she went on to challenge her high school to open an all-gender washroom for many of the students who are allied with kids who are gender non-conforming or kids who are gender non-conforming themselves. So she's taken that work on on her own to extended it to her high school experience. So I think it's just interesting to see the kinds of issues that kids connect with. Yeah. It's often around these very personal issues at that age. But I think the skills that they learn about learning about a problem, asking questions, understanding the complex contributing factors, and then taking action, that's something that they learned that was modeled in our school and in their classes, and then they took that on, on their own. So I'm sure you've mostly just been focused on getting ready for the conference itself, but what do you hope might happen either coming out of the conference or just after the conference that might continue this work? I think that increasing the network of people who say, this is the kind of work I do in my classroom. This is important to me. Let's meet and talk about this and figure out how to do it better. If we could see a more formalized network there, that would be amazing, just for everybody's benefit. We'd love to see that happen after the conference. We'd love to do it again. We've been talking about what does the next conference look like? When is it happening? Where is it happening? Beth and I are both very privileged that we work in spaces that really support the work that we do. And I, I think one of my goals for this conference is that Teachers who don't have that, teachers who work in isolation and feel like they're the only people who are doing this, or maybe they don't, but they would like to consider doing activist yeah. work in their class, will feel inspired by the connections that they make and by the ideas that they get from the conference about how it looks in the real world and how they can apply some of these practices in their classroom. And another goal I have is for teachers to make connections with each other. So, yeah. you know, if there's a teacher in a privileged private school and an inner city teacher who wants to come together and do a project about climate change and collaborate across those various gaps that exist between them, I think that that would be such an amazing achievement to create the base for that kind of collaboration to happen. You have been listening to my interview with Beth Alexander and Michelle Monk about the Teaching for Justice conference that happened earlier this month and about including attention to social justice, equity, and activism in classrooms. To learn more about the conference, go to teachingforjustice.org. To find out more about Talking Radical Radio, the guests, the theme music, and the ways that you can listen, or to suggest topics for future shows, go to talkingradical.ca and click on the link for the radio show. On the site, you can sign up for email updates or follow us on Facebook or Twitter. 
I'm your host, Scott Nye, a writer and media producer based in Hamilton, Ontario, and the author of two books of Canadian history told through the stories of activists, Gender and Sexuality, and Resisting the State, both from Fernwood Publishing. Thank you very much for listening, and I hope you tune in again next week.